The following podcast is a presentation of the PTB Media Network. What's up, PTB Nation? I am the Mr. Mike Agostinho, and this is my eighth cap as Mr. Portugal. That's right, it is the eighth episode of Mr. Portugal, and we got a loaded episode today, a lot to talk about, as we have three men's senior national team matches to talk about. Also, a check-in on the women's national team as they prepare for two crucial, crucial qualifiers coming up in about a week and a half's time. And also we're gonna we're gonna check on check in with the U21s as they wrap up their U21 Euro Championship qualification phase and we'll we'll talk about where they're going next, what's coming up, all that plus much much more here on this 8th episode of Mr. Portugal on the PTB Media Network. Coast to coast instrumentals. Start this episode out with an update on the women's national football team, of course, for Portugal. The FPF uh, has released the list of players for the upcoming international window. Now, these matches will be played on November the 27th, home to Scotland, and then on December the 1st, home to Albania. Let's remember that Portugal right now sits second in Group E for UEFA Women's Euro 2022 qualifying and they Portugal have a match in hand on on um, first place Finland. So it's Finland that topped the group right now. Uh, Finland have played five matches. They have 13 points, four victories, one draw with a plus 15 goal difference. Second right now is Portugal with four matches played, three victories and one draw. Six goals for one, one against. And Portugal right now with a plus five goal difference and 10 points. Right now they sit in second, but they have also played the lighter of the schedule between them and the third place, uh, Scotland. Scotland sits one point behind Portugal right now. They've also got four matches played. They have three uh, victories and a defeat. Now, um, Portugal getting that all-important draw with Finland right now is the difference, but Scotland are a very, very strong side, and they were in the last World Cup and even pushed England to the brink. And fourth place in the group already eliminated is Albania. Our opponents on December the 1st, Albania have one victory and five defeats for a minus 17 goal difference. And fifth place is Cyprus, who are already eliminated as well. Five matches played, five defeats, zero points. So this is the list announced by the FPF. 
from Aston Villa, it's Diana Silva. From Fomalikão, goalkeeper Ruth Costa. From Hungarian side Ferencváros TC, it's Vanessa Marks. From Fiorentina in Italy, Claudia Neto. From Maritimo, Telma Encarnação. From Sporting Braga, there are three. There's the, uh, Diana Gomes, Dolores Silva, and Andrea Norton. From Benfica, Silvia Rebelo, Carol Costa, Andrea Faria, Catarina Amado, and Ana Saisa. So Catarina Amado and Ana Saisa making debuts on the senior national team. Both of them the starting outside backs for Benfica this season, and both of them have grown in leaps and bounds. Sporting, the most represented team in this national team, or the most represented club, I should say. Uh, Ana Borges, Tatiana Pinto, Fátima Pinto, Andrea Jacinto, Inês Pereira, the goalkeeper, Patricia Moraes, Monica Mendes, Carolina Mendes, Joana Machão, Alice, Alicia or Alicia Correa, and Ana Capeta. And from French side, Stade Reim, there is Melissa Gomes. That is your national team for this next uh, this next international window, and I'll be interested to see how they do against Scotland on the 27th of November this coming Friday. That's going to be, um, well, it's disappointing that these games are so hard to find, but that certainly could be a real, real good test for Portugal. And we move now from the women's senior national team to the U21 men's team, and here is the roster for this last international date. Um, the U21s playing to to finalize their qualification into Euro 2021, uh, Euro under U21 2021. Uh, a lot of 21s in there, um, which will be played uh, in the springtime. Actually, the group stage set to be played in March. But here is the the group that was selected by Rui Jorge for. This this group of three matches here, three goalkeepers, Diogo Costa of Porto, Luiz Maximiliano of Sporting, and João Virginia of Everton. Defenders, Thierry Correa of Valencia, Diogo Leite of Porto, Diogo Queiroz of Famalicão, Nuno Mendes of Sporting, Diogo Dalo of Milan, Thiago Jalo of Lille, and Tomás Tavares of Alaves now on loan from Sport Lisboa Benfica. And in midfield you have Vitinha of Wolverham uh, Wolverhampton Wanderers. You have Pedro Gonçalves, the star of the Portuguese league right now from Sporting. Uh, right now the top player in that league, at least as the league has gone so far. No doubt about that, the most informed player. Uh, Tottenham's Jetson Fernandes in the roster also. He's, of course, on loan to Tottenham from Benfica. Another Benfica loan E um, on loan at Monaco. Florentino Luiz is recalled into, this, into the side. Sporting's Daniel Bragança joins them in, as midfielders as well as Crotone's Pedro Pereira and Porto's Fabio Vieira. And up front, the attack is led by the via the Real Valladolid uh, forward Jota, also known as João Felipe. He is also on loan from Benfica to a foreign club. In this case, uh, Real Valladolid. And you have Real, uh, another forward, Rafael Leão of AC Milan, Joelson Fernandes of Sporting, João Mario of Porto, Danny Mota of Monza. And Gonzalo Ramos of Benfica. Those are the players that were called into this camp. Now let's take a look at how they did. It was three matches in this window, like we said. And it got started on the 12th of November. And it was Portugal winning 3-0 at home in Portimão against Belarus. Goals scored by... Um, by Dimitri Prishepa, he scored for Belarus, while Portugal's goals... Actually, excuse me, Prishepa had an own goal in the third minute, and then Portugal's other two goals scored by Fabio Vieira in the 19th from the penalty spot, and Gonçalo Ramos in the 90th from the penalty spot as well. Portugal win 3-0, like we said. Uh, a few days later, November the 15th, at the Estadio Municipal de Bela Vista in 
in Parchal in the Algarve region. And it was Portugal versus Cyprus U21 here, of course, on November the 15th. And it was actually Cyprus taking the lead in the second minute. Arti Matas with the goal to put Portugal behind and to kind of send shockwaves through the Portuguese side. But Portugal would pull one back and pull level on the 45th plus one just before halftime. Jetson Fernandes converts. What was actually a quite terrible penalty kick. Um, He converted it and it found its way across the line. But if you haven't seen it, go to YouTube and look at it. It was was not a good penalty kick. It was not pretty. Very, very lucky to go into halftime level at one after that first half performance. But in the second half... It would be the center back Diego Queiroz, or Diogo Queiroz, excuse me, who would get into the area and would head the ball in for the second goal in the 68th minute. Portugal win two to one over Cyprus, and that result punches Portugal's ticket to the final stage of Euro 2021 for the under 21s. Left only to do was the formality of playing out Portugal and the Netherlands. That match was played in Portimão uh, at the Estadio Municipal de Portimão. And it was Portugal with the victory. Uh, Portugal would win 2-1 to one goals from, from uh, Vieira. He would score in the second minute and the 53rd minute while the Netherlands would pull level momentarily but in the 42nd minute off of the foot of, Gar- of Gapro. And the Netherlands were unable to pull a second one back into pull level but with that result the group finishes and Portugal does win on the day they finish with the same record as as the Netherlands but the Netherlands win the head-to-head tiebreaker having won 3-0 in the Netherlands back in the beginning on one of the first international windows one of the first matches of this qualifying round now due to COVID um, teams played a different amount of matches. Basically, once a team was was eliminated or once two teams were playing each other that were both eliminated, they canceled the match. So this is how the standings ended in Group 7. And it was the Netherlands coming out on top. Ten matches played, nine victories, one defeat, 46 goals, four, five against for a plus 41 goal difference. And the Netherlands finish with 27 points, second place, and an automatic berth in the final as there is no playoff stage this year. That was announced by UEFA. Um, they announced that the 13 qualifiers would join the three that have already qualified and make it a... I'm sorry, the 14 qualifiers would join the two hosts in the final tournament. So Portugal, as the best-ranking second-place team in the entire Qualifying stage, uh, they qualify as the top five second place teams out of eight groups would be the ones, or out of, excuse me, out of nine groups would be the ones to qualify. And Portugal, 27 points, just like the Netherlands, nine victories, one defeat, just like the Netherlands, 29 goals for and nine against. Third place went to Norway all the way back, 17 points back from Portugal with 10 points. They only played 8 matches. Belarus were 4th with 8 points. Cyprus 5th with 7. And Gibraltar were the last place team with no points and with no goals scored, unfortunately, for Gibraltar. But that qualifies Portugal, as we said. 16 teams remain. The group stage will be played during the March international break, which is really interesting. We've never had a, a tournament quite play out this way. But UEFA has announced that the group stage, the four groups, will meet um, in that January window. And I'm sorry, in that March window. And they will they will play all three matches in the space of a week. And the group stage will be complete. And then the knockout stage will be played in early June before the start of Euro 2020. Okay, we're going to take a quick break here on Mr. Portugal. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the senior national team and their three matches in this window. This is Mr. Portugal on the PTB Media Network. Don't forget to follow PTB Media on Instagram and on Twitter at PTB underscore media. Welcome back to Mr. Portugal for the 8th episode, 8th cap if you will, and now we're moving on to the 
senior men's team in the three matches in this international break. So we are going to start with this almost useless uh, Andorra friendly. Uh, the reason this friendly is here, a lot of people have, have criticized this, but the reason this friendly is here is because the teams agreed to play a friendly last year before the Euro. That friendly did not happen, but TV contracts were sold, TV rights were sold, and instead of returning money, it's a lot easier to just play the match. So UEFA decided that uh, the friendlies that were scheduled in the lead up to Euro 2020, the original, you know, originally planned date of Euro 2020, last last summer, and the the matches leading up to it, the friendlies uh, would be rescheduled um, this in this calendar year still. So in the last three international breaks, we've had an additional friendly in there. That is to make up for the three. Friendlies that the teams had scheduled uh, when football was shut down. So Portugal has Andorra at the Stadio de Luz. It is November the 11th. And let's go to the lineups now. This, like I said, this game served for much little more than that, except it served for one thing. And it became very obvious in the second half what that one thing was. But let's start with the starting lineup, okay? Um, I'm not even going to go with Andorra's lineup because I'm – Fairly certain most of you don't know who any of these players are, as I don't know who any of these players are playing for Andorra. So for Portugal, in goal, it is the Leon goalkeeper, Anthony Lopes. The right back is Nel. It's a 4-3-3, by the way, for Fernando Santos. The right back is Nelson Smidu in the... In central defense, the pairing of Ruben Smidu and Domingos Duarte. And the left back is Mario Rui. The three in central midfield for this match. You had João Moutinho anchoring with Renato Sanchez on one side and Sergio Oliveira on the other. And the three in attack is a much different trio than we're used to seeing. But it, it was a quite a functional one, um, albeit against Andorra. It was Braga's in-form striker making his international debut. Paulinho would play uh, central with his former Braga teammate Trincon to his right and Wolverhampton's Pedro Neto to his left. And this match would end 7-0 in favor of the Portuguese. Let's take a look here and go over just uh, the key instances as here we have the goals. The first goal of the match uh, came early, 8th minute. It was Pedro Neto making it 1-0. Um, in the 29th, Paulinho would, would score on his debut, so he would score his first international goal on his first international match. And Portugal would go into the team room at halftime up 2-0. Fernando Santos makes two substitutions at halftime. On comes Bernardo Silva, replacing Sergio Oliveira. And on comes Cristiano Ronaldo, replacing Pedro Neto. Um, a little surprising to see to see CR7 come in this early, but um, despite you know, despite what Fernando Santos says in that this has nothing to do with his his chase of individual you know individual glory or of chasing an inter international uh, goal scoring record of 109 goals, which he's currently seven goals away. From from reaching that, uh, Fernando Santos says his decisions have nothing to do with that. But when in a normal year would Cristiano Ronaldo even be expected to play against Andorra? Okay, um, very very rare. I know that this is a different format and that there's a friendly in um, in ahead of two competitive internationals, but. And Ronaldo was always going to be part of those two competitive matches, but um, you would you would really expect him to not play in this match. But at halftime, he is on, and you could see from the moment he took the the pitch that he had every intention of scoring as many goals as possible. In fact, I think that the entire team, to be honest with you, worked way too hard in this game. I think they exerted too much energy. To be perfectly honest, especially the guys who were going to play in the next in the next match against France, but uh, specifically Cristiano Ronaldo and and uh, to a lesser extent Bernardo Silva and company. 
And in the 56th minute, Portugal would make it 3-0. This time, it was Renato Sanchez scoring, and he gets his second international goal. And actually, you know, this goal was really the product, I think, of Andorra's attention to Cristiano Ronaldo. Ronaldo recognizing it and creating a decoy for himself, opening space for his teammates. And Renato Sanchez makes it 3-0 in the 56th. Five minutes later, in the 61st, it is Paulinho. Once again, as he doubles his tally on his debut, it's 4-0 to Portugal, 2 for Paulinho. And in the 63rd minute, two minutes later, Fernando Santos will make a double substitution. On comes William Carvalho. Uh, off comes Renato Sanchez. A good job for the Lille midfielder. He is replaced by the Betis midfielder. And a clear change in the shape of Portugal when you bring on a midfielder with the characteristics of William Carvalho. And also entering um, from Atletico Madrid, it's João Félix replacing the debutant Paulinho. So interesting that Fernando Santos starts doesn't just put Ronaldo in early, but he starts feeding Ronaldo his normal teammates and really puts puts a strong team on for the end of the match. That I don't really understand why he did that. I would have been fine with him continuing to give the time to the less used players, but. 74th, on comes Diogo Jota, replaces Trincão, and still in the 74th, on comes Daniel Pereira to replace João Moutinho. We get an own goal in the 76th minute. Emily Garcia uh, puts it in his own goal. And this is when Portugal really crank it on here, when it's 5-0. They are working and pushing for that for that sixth goal, and it is so obvious <laughs> All, it is too obvious, to be honest, that it was all about getting goals for Ronaldo to chase down that record. And um, But eventually, on a cross from Mario Rui, I'm sorry, on a cross from Diogo Jota, it finds its way to the back post. And there is Cristiano Ronaldo rising above everybody else and heading it into the goal. He heads it straight into the roof of the goal and um, made the goalkeeper look about my height. Uh, not the tallest goalkeeper. Feel like this one would have had a hard time staying in, um, staying in, or going in, I should say, against a different goalkeeper. But they all count, and that is number one oh three for or number one oh two, excuse me, for Cristiano Ronaldo. And three minutes later, it would be João Felix finishing out the scoring tally on the night. He would score and make it. 7-0 to Portugal. All right, let's let's move ahead to the match that really defined this international uh, window. The match that I was looking forward to, and I think the match everyone was looking forward to, but unfortunately did not go our way. It is Portugal and France at the Stadio de Luz. And I'm going to go through the lineups here, starting with France. All right, so the world champions. This is this another matchup between the world champion and the European champion. And Portugal also trying to defend their Nations League in this, their title in this match. But France come out with Hugo Lloris in goal. He is the captain. Benjamin Pavard at right back. Rafael Varane and Presnel Kimpembe are the center back pairing with Lucas Hernandez on the left. And you have in midfield N'Golo Kante anchoring with Paul Pogba to one side and Adrian Rabio to the other. And in the attack, it's Antoine Griezmann with Kinsley Coleman to his right and Anthony Martial to his left. Those are the 11 chosen by Didier Deschamps to take on Portugal while Fernando Santos goes with Rui Patricio in goal. He opts for Manchester City's João Cancelo as the right back in this 4-2-1-3 in a formation you had to expect Santos to play. Um, this is just classic classic Portugal, if you will, retro uh, vintage Portugal. And the center back pairing is José Font and Ruben Dias and Bayern, sorry, Borussia Dortmund's left back Rafael Guerreiro returns to the eleven. Two holding midfielders in this one. The double pivot with William Carvalho and Danilo Pereira. And in front of them in the triangle is Bruno Fernandes. And the three-man attack with Cristiano Ronaldo, the captain, uh, playing central. 
with João Felix to one side, Bernardo Silva to his other. And this is a, a threesome that does weave a lot and they go and they swap for each other a lot. Very hard to contend with. However, um, like I said, the game didn't really go the way we would have wanted it to, obviously. And playing at home, you know, I you would have hoped for a better a better performance from Portugal. But really, I don't think this one for me was about the performance. I think this was all about the attitude. I think uh, Fernando Santos got it wrong for once. Okay, and it's hard to criticize his decisions over the last six years. This is only his fourth uh, his fourth competitive loss with with Portugal since he's taken over. So. This is a little bit of a shocking result in that um, the plan just didn't work for once. Uh, Portugal, very, very defensive in this, which is fine, but overly overly um, content is really the impression I got from this, from these 90 minutes. They were just overly content to play for the nil-nil draw and... They they sat in. They didn't take many chances. There was very, very little creativity. And what I noticed, too, is we're not getting the same Bruno Fernandes at the national team that they're getting at Old Trafford for Manchester United. But I think I, I what I discovered in this match, and it is in the tougher matches that you see these things, is, see, the problem with Bruno Fernandes in this lineup, and the problem isn't with Bruno Fernandes. To me, it's the it's the problem with selecting two holding midfielders. Now, in Paris, when we met in the last international break, uh, it worked. The two the two double holding midfielders worked. In this match here, it didn't work. And the big difference really is that you know you gave up a goal that's the only reason it didn't work because that plan is all great and dandy until you give up a goal and now you have to change your fortunes and you got to go forward so the approach worked in Paris because we didn't surrender the goal but in this one we did okay um we can't win games nil nil okay and and we have way too much talent in my opinion to be playing so deep and lacking that type of belief in ourselves even against France to go and play but the manager Fernando Santos acknowledged this in the post game he acknowledged it in the questioning after the match he said that he got it wrong and that this one was on him and I think he's right he got this one wrong um and I think the biggest issue is that double holding midfielder because they they literally just sit in behind the four behind the the back line and then what happens is Bruno Fernandes is playing too high up the pitch because he's at his best in the attacking third he's not a true he's not a box to box midfielder as more as he is more an attacking midfielder and what happens is with two holding midfielders there's nobody there's nobody to link up the back five what becomes a back five to the what becomes a front five. Okay, and I I didn't like this this um this selection. I think if you had gone with one of the two holding midfielders and then you pair him up with a Ruben Neves in midfield, Ruben Neves can do can do the holding mid position, but he can also link up. He can also do the box to box. He can do more than one role in that midfield. Whereas guys like a Danilo or a William play a very specific role in the midfield. Someone like like Ruben Neves brings a different dynamic, and he can do more than one thing. Even if he doesn't do any one thing better than those two, he can do more things well. And I think that that would have been a better way to start. But anyhow. France just just took it to us, and France did what they want for the most part. The center channel was was an absolute, uh, you know, it was a it was a racetrack or it was a highway, if you will, uma autopista, uma autostrada, and you know, it, France really had all of the they had all of the power in the match. They were the ones commanding the match, and it was not until we got that goal from Angolo Kante. And he made it 1-0 to France, and that goal comes, let's see, it comes in the second half as everything was going according to plan for Portugal up until that point, and they went into half happy. But it was in the 53rd minute. So in the 53rd minute, uh, N'Golo Kante 
puts a rebound away. Rui Patricio with a, a rare mistake, in my opinion. He left that rebound right there to be tapped in. I know it wasn't an easy save, but he makes the original save on Rabio's shot from the tight angle. But he tipped it straight into the path of Conte, who never stopped believing in the rebound and was right there to meet it. And the Chelsea man makes it 1-0. And Portugal suddenly... The game plan has to change, and it's almost—it's not a panic, but it's—it's it's almost a urgency that they were not so comfortable with. So uh, let's here oncoming in the 56th minute is another mistake that I think that I think uh, Fernando Santos made in this match, and that was not starting Diogo Jota. Diogo Jota right now is the most in form a player. For Portugal, if he's not João Felix is, but it's I think he's even more in form right now than than João Felix and Diogo Jota not started in this match, and Santos went with Bernardo Silva, who I love, but honestly, if you go on curtain on current form, Bernardo Silva has no business starting over Diogo Jota right now, and the problem is once you brought Jota in, you expect him to just change everything. And it didn't come out right at first. And, you know, he's trying to do too much. And there's a bit of frustration that sets in as the French will counter that that substitution in the 59th minute. Didier Deschamps will send on Marcus Thuram. He will replace Kinsley Coleman, trying to protect the lead a little bit. And in the 59th, though, Portugal hits the post with a decent shot. Rafael Guerrero. Forces a decent save from Loris on the well-struck shot. And when the ball isn't properly cleared, it falls to José Font. And Font nails it off of the far post on the left side. He can't quite turn it turn it uh, goalwards. And he powerfully knocks it off of the woodwork. 60, 68th minute. And Pogba intercepts a loose pass from Concello. Concello with a rare mistake in this one. As the ball flicks up, he tries to control it on his head and then his shoulder. And then Pogba is brought down by Cristiano Ronaldo from behind. And the, the Fop Mob um, reporter in his notes here says that he would have liked to have seen where Pogba was going to go with this. As... Portugal just trying to get chances, and they start getting them, but it's all very late. And what was, I think, a good substitution because of what I said about the disconnect between the holding mids and Bruno Fernandes. In this one, Santos decides to send on João Moutinho in place of Bruno Fernandes. I know I could hear a lot of you moaning and, and, and screaming about that one. A lot of people don't want to see João Moutinho in this team anymore. But of the players you had, that is the right guy to go in in that moment because we were losing the midfield. And once we got a true midfielder versus an attacking midfielder, a true all-purpose midfielder in that midfield, he was playing closer to the back two. And as a result, Portugal start to play a lot better and start to link up a lot better, start to move the ball a lot better. They start to be in better positions. They start to get forward in support. And in that same substitution, uh, stoppage in the 72nd, Trincão comes on, replaces Bernardo Silva. Another tough night for Bernardo Silva. We have not seen the best from Bernardo Silva of late, but this season's going to be very, very long. And the Euro is still many, many months away. So as I'm not going to worry at this point about that. 74th minute, and it's a nice save from Hugo Lloris. Ronaldo looks 10 years younger as he bursts into the area from the right, bamboozling Conte with some rapid footwork and then laying the ball back to Moutinho just outside the area. And Moutinho lashes a right-footed effort across goal towards the top left corner, but Lloris flies across the goal and tips it wide. 73rd minute, or I should say one minute before that, we had Trincon slipping in. A pass behind to Cancelo at the right side, but his shot fizzles out. And Kimpembe gets his foot in and clears the rebound. Now we move forward. 78th minute here, and we have Oliver Giroud, Olivier Giroud, excuse me, in, entering the match, replacing Anthony Martial. And in, a minute later in the 79th, N'Golo Kante is booked for what looks like a good 
tackle on uh, on Danilo in midfield with the PSG man went down holding his ankle and he was perhaps caught on the follow through and it was in fact the replay would show that they, there was contact on the follow through and Golo Conte seeing yellow in the 82nd minute it was Lucas Hernandez who would see yellow for a foul on Trinco and Portugal would continue to push forward in the 85th minute Santos would make two questionable well one questionable substitution and another that's just uh you know you could agree or disagree with but he decides to send on Paulinho in the 85th minute in place of João Félix and he also sends on for some reason Sergio Oliveira in place of Danilo Pereira um again I have a hard time believing that Sergio Oliveira is a better midfielder than Ruben Neves. And I think Ruben Neves does more, gives you more. But Santos here opts to go with Sergio Oliveira, who's been kind of a favorite of his as of late. And we move forward. And Portugal are trying to get forward. 87th minute, they're calling out for a penalty. The referee says no. Trincão comes into the area from the right, and he's knocked off balance by Lucas Hernandez as he crosses. Um, Portugal would appeal for the spot kick, as we said, but the referee had no interest, and he was right on the line. This did not go to VAR. If this was in Portugal, in the Portuguese league, no matter what, they would go to VAR on this. So, again, there is an inconsistency in the way VAR is being utilized from one place to another. It doesn't matter because in in uh, UEFA Nations League group stage, there is no VAR, so... That's why it wasn't looked at. But, in, you know, in Portugal, at least that would be looked at by the VAR. And we would get to full-time 90 plus 4. Portugal nil. France won. France qualify for the Nations League finals and eliminate the holders. Portugal, Conte's goal is the difference at the end of a closely fought match as he stabbed home from close range after Patricio spilled Rabio's shot early in the second half. France were the better side in the first half and went close through Martial on three different occasions but looked like being made to pay for those missed opportunities as the host came back strongly after the break. Joseph Font headed on to the post and Ronaldo almost got on the end of a number of crosses um, but it wasn't meant to be on the night for Fernando Santos' side in the European Champions and Nations League Cup holders fall. At home to the world champions. Okay, let's go through a couple of ratings. Okay, and these ratings are going to be courtesy of Fought Mob today. The goalkeeper, Rui Patricio, 6.2. João Cancelo, 6.7. José Font, 6.5. Ruben Dias, 6.7. Rafael Guerreiro was Portugal's best with a 7.1. Danilo, 6.3. William, 5.9. Bruno Fernandes, 6.8. Bernardo Silva, 6.8. Cristiano Ronaldo 6.5 and João Felix 6.2. Looking at the subs that came on, Diogo Jota comes on for a 5.4, while João Moutinho gets a 7.1 performance in less than 20 minutes. That's a very, very good rating for such a short time frame. But like I said, the team completely shifted and got a lot better once João Moutinho came on to the, the pitch. Say what you want about him, but in this match, he was he was crucial. And any chance Portugal had of coming back, the key change was bringing him into the midfielder because he's actually a midfielder, okay? There was a huge hole there. And what Santos needs, what Fernando Santos needs to figure out in the next six months before the tournament, or the next seven months or so, is how he's going to incorporate all these talented ball handlers in the 11. Okay, because he can't have a tactical letdown like this, in a, in, especially in a group where we're going to see France again, we're going to see Germany, and we're going to see uh, Hungary playing at home as well. So we're going to have a very tough group, and we cannot have this type of disconnect um, between the players and the team. Trincão got a 6.1 off the bench. Sergio Oliveira and Paulinho didn't play enough to earn a rating. So that would take us to the final match day. And Portugal travel to split to take on Croatia. And we'll go first to the lineups. This match was played on Tuesday, November the 17th at the Stadion 
Poljude in Split, Croatia, home of Hajduk Split. And the starting 11. First for the hosts, Croatia, Dominic Livakovic is the goalkeeper. They're going with a 4-1-2-1-2. Four across the back on the right, Joseph Jaranovic. The center back pairing is Dejan Lovren and Mile Skoric. And the left back is Demagog Bradaric. Uh, In midfield, Marko Roj is partnered by Luka Modric on his right, Mateo Kovacic on his left, and Mario Pasalic uh, in the front of that midfield diamond with two strikers, Ivan Perisic and Niko Vlasic up front. Fernando Santos sends on this team here as Portugal already eliminated, so this was tr truly just a training match. Nelson Semedo at right back with Ruben Dias partnering with Ruben Semedo as the center back pair. Mario Rui gets the nod at left back. In midfield, you have Danilo Pereira anchoring and being joined by João Moutinho and Bruno Fernandes. I thought this is a better midfield selection. Okay, and there's more more space covered and the, there's just better a better mix of, of characteristics and of qualities in that group of midfielders. If you're going to play with three, I think that is a good combination. And up front, you have the captain, Cristiano Ronaldo, partnering with João Félix and Diogo Jota. We go to the ticker here and start to look in. The, the match starts out kind of slow um, with both teams knowing their fate. However, Croatia was playing to not be relegated out of League A here in the UEFA Nations League, so they were going to put forth a good effort. And in the, in the 23rd minute, an important instance in the match as Marco Roche goes into the book for hauling uh, Diogo Jota down as the forward was breaking away. A clear booking for a professional foul. Now we move ahead and we go to the 29th minute and suddenly the game shifts after Portugal being completely on the front foot, being completely in control. They get caught on a counter and eventually it leads to a sloppy clearance from Ruben Smedo. And the ball is played straight at Palisic in the box. The Croatia forward controls and fires a low cross. Across the face of goal towards Kovacic in the middle. And the midfielder's first effort is saved. But Patricio can't hold it. And Kovacic will smash home his own rebound. And it is 1-0 to Croatia. Mateo Kovacic with a goal in the 29th minute. And seven minutes later... 36th minute, Croatia should have been up 2-0 as it's Juranovic meets, meeting a left-wing cross at the back post. He gets the free header but can only nod the ball wide of the far post. Uh, Hui Patricio had been stranded. Had that shot been on target, it would have been 2-0. There is a, a note here that in the 44th minute, Cristiano Ronaldo looks none too impressed as the first half-time whistle um, approaches, and he and his teammates are taking to the are talking are taking to the game. Um, but the ho the hosts are well organized themselves and look to see things out until the break. And the break does come moments later. Referee blows his whistle for halftime. Croatia into the team room ahead of one nil over Portugal. And the halftime whistle will blow. Uh, Croatia lead courtesy of a scrappy goal from Kovacic as Ruben Semedu's poor clearance and Rui Patricio's spilled save allowed the midfielder to fire home from close range. Portugal failed to make the most of their strong start and allowed the hosts to assert themselves. It's 1-0 uh, to Croatia at the break, as we said. At halftime, Fernando Santos makes one substitution. He pulls Bruno Fernandes once again, and he replaces him with Francisco Trincao, as this is a change in formation, also moving to a 4-4-2 formation with this change. And these are the matches to try things out. That's not 
That's not something I'm against now that, you know, the table was set. Granted, you owe it, in my opinion, you owe it to Sweden to, to put your best effort out against Croatia and not to just relegate Sweden because you don't care, okay? But you also do have a responsibility to your own team and to figure out some things, and you need to take advantage of having these opportunities when they arise. And I think Santos does a good job with that in trying some different things here. And then in the 51st minute, the match would turn, uh, and it would change for for the rest of the match as Marco Roge would be sent off as he clatters into Ronaldo from behind. And he catches him on the ankle with his studs and is shown the second yellow card. Croatia down to 10 men. And just a minute later, Portugal would equalize. It's Ruben Dias leveling the score immediately after Roj is sent off. Ronaldo strikes the free kick from some distance. And Livakovic is able to save it, but he parries it right back into the danger zone. To Ruben Smedu, who squares it to a completely unmarked Ruben Dias to slot it home. It was very poor from the goalkeeper in the defense, according to this this reporter. But in my opinion, it was all very good play from Portugal as well. And Portugal draw level 1-1 in the 52nd. And it was an opportunity for Ruben Samidu to make amends for his earlier error, resulting, of course, in Croatia's goal. This time, Ruben, at the other end of the the pitch, gets on to the productive end for Portugal, latching on to Levakovic's weak parry, and Ruben Samidu stares it into the middle for a wide-open Ruben Dias, who buries it in the back of the goal. Croatia's defense fail to react. 54th minute and Ronaldo goes down in the area the referee deems it a dive and shows Portugal's captain the yellow card it was close after looking at it uh, on replay it was very very close I would have been interested um, to see how if there were VAR of course because we've already established there isn't in this stage of the competition but if there were I would have been interested to see how the referees would have called it given the video evidence it looked like it still could have gone either way and also in the or I should say three minutes later in the 57th it's Ivan Perisic's turn to go into the book as he finds himself catching Nelson Semedo in the face with his elbow and he makes the funny he makes the funny uh gesture to the referees with the number one saying it's his first foul it's Still an elbow in the face, but I guess he believes that you get one of those per match. It's not just him. It's it's top-level professionals everywhere. They That is a such a common defense. After committing a foul, that's an automatic yellow that you try to plead with the referee saying, it's just one. It's your first. But three minutes later, in the 60th, it is João Felix putting Portugal in front Lovren misses his interception um, as the ball is played through to Diogo Jota, who gets to the byline, drawing Livakovic out, and before cutting back for Felix to scruff the ball into the corner past a sliding broad arch, and it, there is suspicion of handball on Jota on the play, but obviously we've already established there is no Ovar, so there is nothing to review. It was not called. Um, this time the goal stands, and it's 2-1 to one to Portugal. And honestly, I did make a note that I thought that this kind of evened it up because I think VAR would have overruled Croatia's goal in the first half. I believe there was an offside there, in my opinion. Um, but I think that, with you know, without the VAR, it, it's it's... It's uh, kind of an even exchange there. So Portugal get a goal off of what did appear to be a handling of the ball by by Jota. And he would continue to play down the byline and play it in for Felix. Felix would, would slide it home. And it is 2-1 to one to Portugal. And the assist goes to Diogo Jota, of course. And we go to the bench now for Croatia. They bring on, uh, they bring on, Josip Brakalo, and he replaces Mario Pasalic. And 
just a minute later in the 65th. It is against the run of play again, and it is a goal for the 10-man side. Croatia, it is Mateo Kovacic once again. Vlasic holds the ball up in the box and plays it back to the edge of the area for Kovacic, who races onto it and side-foots a low effort and curls it away from Rui Patricio. And it goes in the left-hand post, and it is 2-2. Two to two, A terrific strike from Mateo Kovacic. A nice assist for Nikola Vlasic on the play as well as he receives the ball surrounded by defenders in the box. And he looked to have nothing to do, and then he found his teammate in support. And Kovacic came up with the lovely finish. Uh, Fernando Santos goes to the bench again with a double substitution in the 71st. On comes João Cancelo for Mario Hui. And on comes Bernardo Silva for João Félix. And Portugal continuing to play the ball wide, continuing to to try to get balls into the area, looking for Ronaldo, looking for for Felix, and now Bernardo Silva and Diogo Jota and and, and the like. Uh, but it's still two to two, and it's not looking too good for Portugal. But Fernando Santos will gamble one more time. And he will bring on another double substitution in the 77th. On comes Paulinho replacing Diogo Jota. And on comes once again Sergio Oliveira for Danilo. And I ask myself, is that really the guy that's going to come in and make the difference? I mean, you don't have anyone of truer of a truer attacking sense than, than Sergio Oliveira? I don't understand. This is the one guy that's a mystery to me. I mean, he's not a bad player, but in a midfield this loaded, it's 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 interesting to me that he's he's around and that he's getting minutes, but in the 79th, we get a miss by Bernardo Silva. Trincon fires a sweetly struck volley at goal that Levakovic can only parry into the path of Bernardo Silva on the right side of the box, but the Manchester City man hits the ball into the ground. As the goalkeeper closes him down and the bounce takes it up and over the bar. Bernardo cannot believe that he has missed. Last or another substitution for Croatia here in the 84th. Vlasic is taken off after getting his assist. He's replaced by Mislav Orsic. In the 86th minute, the ball is over as Sergio Oliveira bursts forward from midfield, gets into the box on the left before cutting inside and firing for the top right corner. But he gets way too much height on it, and it sails over. But in the 88th, an enforced stoppage on Juranovic as he blocks a cross with his throat and goes down in discomfort. The medical team are out on the pitch to see him and to make sure that he'll be okay. And finally, in the 90th, it happened. Surely, <laughs> it's a winner for Ruben Dias as it's a howler from Livakovic. He jumps to claim a corner, but but doesn't hold the ball security, securely. And as he lands, he collides with his defender, Lovren, and inadvertently knocks the ball out of his own hands. And it pops up right to Ruben Dias in the box, who simply swivels and slots it into the empty net for his second goal of the match. And it's 3-2 to Portugal in the dying embers. And now you had to fancy Portugal to take all three points. One last opportunity for, for Dalic, the manager for of Croatia. He sends on Tomo Basic in place of Mateo Kovacic. But it would not result in anything because at the 90th plus three, the referee blows his whistle for full-time Portugal take three points and conclude the UEFA Nations League tied for the second most points in the entire Nations League. Ironically, it just they happen to be behind the one team that's ahead of them. So let's look at the table now. The final table in League A, Group 3, I believe we were this year, but or Group 4. First place is France, six matches, five Wins one draw, good for 16 points. Second place, Portugal, 13 points, four victories, one draw, one defeat. 
And like I said, the sec- tied for the second most points in the entire tournament, but only first place advances and Portugal are out and unable to defend their crown um, next fall when this competition is concluded. Croatia, by virtue of having a one goal better goal difference, stay in League A as both Croatia and Sweden uh, lose and they each have three points. So Croatia is third with three points, one victory, five defeats, nine goals for, 16 against for a negative seven, while Sweden are relegated to League B. One victory, five defeats, five goals for, 13 against for a negative eight goal difference. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the difference. Negative seven to negative eight. Croatia stays up. So the final four is set in the UEFA Nations League. Like I said, it'll be played in Italy next fall, You know, more or less a year from now, 10, 11 months from now. Uh, the four t- the semifinals go as follows. It is an all-Latin semifinal as Spain takes on Italy, and in the other semifinal it is France and Belgium. The two winners will meet a few days later to crown the new winner of the UEFA Nations League as Portugal does not qualify. But I want to talk about that first. Um, some it, It's funny how this Nations League is received differently in different places because in in the UK for example these are these are put up as as glorified friendlies if you will something that took the place of friendlies and you can see it by the teams that some of these na- national teams put out in these matches and um you can see where they where their focus is this is you know specific more so to league A than the other leagues because the other leagues um, don't have such a high probability of qualifying for finals. So the Nations League becomes their best route into the final tournament. And um, the matches are very, very competitive in leagues B, C, and D. But and the teams take it very, very seriously. But in League A, it's seen a little bit more as a as a friendly competition. At least, how, However, in Portugal, the media, and I'm starting with... Abola puts the headline the next day, 23 years later, Portugal misses a major final. Meaning that Portugal in the 21st century has, have qualified for every major final that they have sought out for, that, they've, that they have entered qualifying for, be it Euros or World Cups. Um, according to the Portuguese media, the UEFA Nations League Final Four is also a major tournament. And it's not that I don't think it's not... Major, I I like that it's taken that way in Portugal, but the reality is not making the Final Four in the Nations League is not equivalent to not not qualifying to a World Cup or a Euro Finals. Those two things do not equal each other. Now, obviously, I would have preferred Portugal qualify. I think, and I've said before, that Portugal are in a window of time here that they have to take advantage of the talent that they have, and they cannot take any competition lightly. They cannot take any competition off. Any opportunity to win a trophy should be pursued to the fullest, and I think Portugal did do that, maybe even to a fault where they came out too defensive, in my opinion, or not too defensive, but too pragmatic and not creative enough. Okay, you could be defensive and still be creative going forward and you can still find opportunities. They didn't even search for them in the in that match. So you know, it, it's there's good and there's bad with this run. This was we saw some of the best football we've seen from Portugal in this Nations League, okay? So yeah, we missed the final because or the finals, the the final four because we happen to be in a group with the world champions and we we went toe to toe with them and we came out just a, just a shade behind. I don't think there's any shame in that and I think Portugal can be very very confident going into Euro 2020 next year. Um I do think that they need Portugal need to get better at utilizing pl- on-form players when they are hot, when they have the momentum. 
And they really, I think they killed some of the steam for both Jerome Felix and for Diogo Jota in this in this international break. You know, um, some of it was was the the lineups that the manager put out. And again, I don't understand going with Bernardo Silva over Diogo Jota right now. Um, I know what Bernardo's done in the past. I know he's the most skilled player probably in the entire team. But right now, he's not in a good run of form, and. I would I believe that in the national team you have to go completely on current form. So but then again, who am I to to dispute Fernando Santos? This is the manager that brought a major trophy home to Portugal and you know, the job is essentially his as you can see until he decides he does not want to do it anymore. All right, so that is the look back and again, disappointment to not be advancing, but um Confident going forward, and I see a lot of promise for this team. Uh, we'll have some friendlies in in March. They're yet to be announced, or in this weird COVID nineteen world of football, it could could even be possible that we have a World Cup qualifier coming up uh, in March. I don't know. Uh, the groups are about to be drawn, so it's possible that we're going to play some World Cup qualifiers before we go to the Euros. Um, this is just one of those years where everything is, is bizarre, isn't it? And, um, so the next international windows in March and, uh, what I'll do between now and then, however, I am going to, in the month of December, one episode per week, I'm going to put out the four, um, throwbacks to 1984 to Euro 84, the reviews of the four Euro 84 matches. Two of them were already aired. I'm going to re-air them. Okay. And then a third one will go up, and then a fourth one, and that'll be um, something coming your way on this on this feed in the month of December. Okay, so I'm going to be signing off now for the PTV Media Network for Mr. Portugal. All right, this is the Mr. Mike Agustinho signing off. I'll talk to you again when we have some more international football to talk about. Um, in the meantime, do check out. The other podcasts here, check out the Park in the Bus and Mr. Befica, wherever you get your podcasts, all right? And I will see you on one of those shows very quickly. Remember, you can contact me by emailing me at p or emailing me at ptbmedianetwork at gmail.com or you can tweet or Instagram or Instagram direct message me. The handle is at ptb underscore media, okay? And uh, I'll be back. I'll be back later in the week. I ha- I have a a parking the bus episode dropping and still coming soon. A review of the U.S. versus Wales and the U.S. versus Panama in the last international window. Plus, we've got like I said the the review matches or the throwbacks coming very soon as well here on PTB Media Network. Don't forget follow PTB Media and follow. The Mr. Benfica podcast as episodes drop there every couple of days. All right. Thank you. This is the Mr. Mike Agustinho signing off. And I'll see you next time here on Mr. Portugal. Take it away, Mike the Gaita. Sou
nós somos 11 mais 11 milhões Foi aí que tu falhaste Pouco importa, pouco importa Se julgamos bem ou mal Chegamos a levar a taça Para nosso Portugal Pouco importa, pouco importa Se julgamos bem ou mal Chegamos a levar a taça Para nosso Portugal Tínhamos muita esperança e 